I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. If you have the ability to turn on your video, that would be nice for me to be able to see who I'm speaking to. Also for the rest of us to help create the quality of community. This is the Cultivating the Empty Field session for July 2020. This is the first full talk. Welcome. Welcome all the uniqueness that's in this space. Welcome to all the different backgrounds and life circumstance and heritage. Welcome to the different ways of engaging with this retreat, each in our own way, each doing our best. And welcome all the different aspirations, motivations, and understandings of practice. And welcome to the conditions we're practicing with a temple apartment, a house, a room, a backyard, an office, I miss children and spouse, I miss the neighbor's music, I miss the roommate's energies spicing up the mix, welcome to the house pets, welcome to the responsibilities that whether you're at the monastery or at home, that practice can thread through. And welcome the, the various qualities that come with us to the meditation cushion. Doubt, confusion, enthusiasm, grief, anxiety, inspiration, faith, Welcome the next visitations of heart, mind, and body coming whether we like it or not and departing no matter how warm our welcome. The teachings this week are centered on a particular practice called serene illumination and this is thought to be the core or essential practice of Soto Zen. And this practice is articulated in such a beautiful way by the Chinese Zen master Hung Zhu. The text Cultivating the Empty Field. Some of these chants, the people at the monastery, the monastery has been chanting for nearly 20 years so it's um, part of the flavor of the house as they say or the family wind this this style of practice is very much appreciated so we're centering on this particular practice called a serene illumination although 
it encompasses all the practices we do. And more than a technique, it's uh, an orientation or an activation. And I'll talk more about that. So the name of the practice has its two simultaneous aspects. Serene, the quality of calm, and illumination, or seeing. Calm seeing, serene illumination. It's not uncommon. In fact, sometimes it's very skillful to separate these aspects of practice in our training. So to train the body-mind in one aspect, for example, working on calming the mind and the breath. And then to train in this quality of seeing, which is a wakefulness to how our experience is moment by moment. Increasing clarity on our inner world and on our outer world. So this practice is activating these qualities at the same time. It's somewhat unique in that it emphasizes that. I want to talk first about the why and what for of serene illumination and then address the how. So as Kisei was sharing with us, Zen is a practice of liberation. What is that? What does that word contain for us? What does it point to? To be liberated from what? The celebrated ancestors and practitioners of the Zen lineage make claims about this practice of liberation that impact folks in different ways. May trigger our doubt or may trigger great inspiration or confidence and everything in between. So the claim of these accomplished mature practitioners, stripped of nuance for exposition's sake, the claim is that They have arrived at a way of being and seeing where their dignity, their reverence for life, their peace of mind, and their appreciation of existence is no longer dependent on external circumstance. That's the definition of liberation not dependent on material conditions, not dependent on physical health, not dependent on how people see or treat them. Doesn't go away with the shifting winds of life. This is a profound claim. This is a profound liberation. Imagine that looking at themselves and others with tender and imperturbable eyes, no matter what, no matter what. And what we read or what we hear perhaps from somebody 
if we're fortunate enough to know somebody who embodies these qualities, we don't hear a celebration of themselves having overcome all the obstacles. But rather, at least in Zen tradition, we hear a celebration that this tender imperturbability is the most authentic self in everyone. Fully given. It's discovery and activation available to all those who desire and wish to practice this way of being. Your native condition, this imperturbable, tender, authentic self. Serene illumination, the most authentic way of being for everyone. Well, what does that mean? Who can say who and who is not authentic? Actually, this is one of those words I like to uh, interrogate or take up as a point of uh, investigation. Does it mean to be authentic? How can somebody be inauthentic? Why authentic? It's directly testified as real and unchanging, as not impressionable connected to and an expression of universal source. The real deal because it's not that some people have it and some don't, but it's the essence across the board. It's authentic because it's not the face that we have to present to the world. It's not the face we present to charm, to survive, to be safe, to be loved. It's authentic because it's not conditioned by bias, prejudice, desire. So the claim And what we're invited to testify to in our own direct experience is that we can be safety. We can be absence of bias. We can be a source of faith, a presence of love. We can be grounded in the living pulse of the moment and not be confused about who and what we are despite whatever's in our field. So this is Zen practice. This is what we do Sashim for. This is what the monastery exists for. This is what the temple in Portland exists for. And this is why we come together to support each other in, in tasting and metabolizing and being this, this authenticity. Serene illumination. I love how Kisei has been emphasizing mountain <clears throat> because um, for me, some of my experiences of being on mountains, when I was young, I lived in uh, the desert 
of Nevada. I lived in a suburb outside of Las Vegas, and I was only a bike ride from Red Rock Canyon. So I had the good fortune to be able to play in the mountains a lot when I was a kid. And it's this beautiful, Red Rock Canyon is this beautiful mountain range with these very um, deep red uh, tones. It's, it's gorgeous. So for me, uh, mountain, just thinking of mountain or, or tuning into that quality, I can feel that because I've been a part of that. So serene, the calm of this serene is, is deep and mountain stable. In a sense, it's calm when we are not. It's calm when our surface mind is not. In illumination, the light of this shines through. Shines in. Moon nectar, soothing, but beaming through confusion, as Hongjir will say. I'm going to share with you one of his, his teachings. And he was so immersed in this way of practice, this was his full-time profession to exist in this authenticity for the benefit of those around him wanted the uh, fragrance of that, the embodiment of that. And so apparently people would just show up and say, hey, what is this serene illumination stuff about? And he would say these things. So to somebody, he said, expansive, expansive and inherently spiritual, refined and inherently bright, awakened mind can permeate universally without grasping the merit of its illumination and can apprehend without being bound by discursive thinking. Emerging from manifestations of existence and non-existence, surpassing the emotions of deliberation and discussion, that is getting tangled in uh, spiritual theories and how we can get actually quite aggressive and uh, reactive around our spiritual theories, surpassing the emotions of deliberation and discussion, merely interact positively and appropriately without dependence on others. All Buddhas, all ancestors, and all leaves and all flowers, nature relates in this manner. When responding, they do not grasp at forms. Where illuminating, they do not attach to conditions. Then they can stay wide open and unhampered. Now, these these Chinese masters weren't weren't uh, sentimental, and they weren't they they didn't tend to emphasize uh, warmth of heart. But I think it's inherent. It's inhering in their speech. But when they say wide open and unhampered, we could say that's the condition of love. Wide open. He concludes, only this family wind of intimate awareness appears complete everywhere 
Let yourself accept it. Let yourself accept it. Expansive and inherently spiritual, refined and inherently bright, awakened mind can permeate universally without grasping the merit of its illumination. It's natural. And can apprehend without being bound by discursive thinking. It shines through. It's more fundamental than the movement of the thinking mind. Inherently spiritual, mind knowing its most authentic condition. What we are more than biology, what we are more than the sum total of our conditioning, not limited by a lifespan, not heading for death, what inheres through all our nights and days, inherently spiritual. Now, I hear in myself and I hear in folks when talking about practice, occasionally a voice that says something like, what good is this? What good is this when the world is X, Y, Z? What good is this? How will this help me with A, B, C? We'll fill in the blank. Maybe you've, you've had that, that kind of thought. You're essentially sitting and doing nothing, aware of all the turmoil in the world, aware of all the need, aware of all that you could be putting your energy to, and this voice comes up, what good is this? And usually these are reasonable questions that can be reasonably responded to. But we don't have to insist that spiritual life, that spiritual presence in our life, follow the same logic as the world. Worldly logic, in a nutshell, is how can I use this to my advantage? to increase resources, opportunities. How will this improve me? How will this get rid of what I don't want to experience, etc.? And this is not a criticism of that essential state of mind of how can I have enough resources, opportunities, conditions to thrive. This is not in opposition to that, but that logic approaches spiritual practice as another tool to get something. Maybe it's like a scalpel you think you're going to remove some tissue in you that you don't like. So our practice doesn't have to be bound by worldly logic. For example, you can look at a person for what they've done, what they can do for you, and or you can just look at a person. 
you can just see. See the virtue of existing. You can be the virtue of existing. You can let them be that inhering virtue of existing that's not dependent on what they will do for you or what they've done. The fulfillment of seeing, of knowing the nature of existence. So another angle on why serenely illuminate when there's so much to be done, when there's so much demand. Perhaps we carry around that sense that things are off, that things are wrong, that they're not good enough. Perhaps we carry this around when all other witnesses testify to the opposite. People look at our life and say, you have enough opportunities, health, resources. You have enough to find a groove of basic happiness. But there's a sense that something's wrong, something's lacking, not enough. And even though we may have those people in our lives that nurture and support us and those opportunities and resources, the most fundamental incongruence most likely does remain, is carried around. The incongruence of the depth and openness and joy of our inherent truth and who we are acting like. The incongruence of our authenticity and the unconscious performance we're doing as one without deep value, without wisdom, without source. That incongruence between how we show up, what face we put on, and what we most deeply are is something that we feel, or at least something that I feel. So we could say, as long as we think and feel that things are off, wrong, and not good enough, they are. And so motivation arises to work out liberation. There's a spiritual itch. There's a longing, takes many forms. Sometimes it, we find ourselves settling for surrogates of what we're really looking for. But there's an itch for this most uh, durable authenticity. And it motivates. So how is a serene illumination practiced? An excellent answer is letting go. Letting go. Letting go is both an attitude of the heart, a willingness, a confrontation to the ways we don't want to let go, the seeing why, and it's a method. 
It's an orientation towards experience. It's basically the desire to unburden oneself of what doesn't need to be burdensome internally. Letting go. Another answer of how is serene illumination practice is that it's not a practice. It's the practice of no practice, the Master Sheng Yen says. In Buddhist practice, we encounter I want to say a paradox, but it's only a paradox from the outside. We encounter a situation. And the situation is you can't practice what is always so. In other words, you can't approach what you're made of. An attempt to see it divides you. The seeking of an experience of knowledge or an experience that's going to confirm you is approaching the sacred as an object, and it's not. So in a sense, saying it's a practice of no practice is right away cutting through the worldly logic that I'm going to do something to myself in order to bring about an effect. It cuts through a transactional relationship. I put in the time and I get what I came for. So, I want to offer a little bit of practice instruction on the practice of no practice. Now, there are some just principles that pretty much for any form of meditation really apply. Of course, the first is acceptance and embodiment. this quality of of welcome. And when I sit down to meditate, for me, this is the first checkpoint or the first place of work is what I call welcome. And that means I won't go any further if I am in opposition or cannot accept the texture of my body and mind right here and now. If I move into the practice session and I'm in argument, I'm trying to fix and avoid and get more comfortable around something that's in my experience, then basically that's what I'm going to be practicing. So acceptance and embodiment. And I say this is at the beginning of a session, but this this challenge will continually come forward for us as we sit. For all the various reasons. Fatigue from the body, 
the way that the conscience tends to bring forth undigested memories, the way in which sitting thaws, releases contracted emotion in the body. The fact that awareness is, is embracing of the whole of what we are. So as we sit, we will need to continually return to this quality of welcome, of acceptance. And perhaps it's a cultural habit, but the cultural habit of non-acceptance is going up into the thinking mind and daydreaming, analyzing, fantasizing, and planning. And so acceptance and embodiment. In itself, that is, uh, that's such beautiful work. It's actually really very practically beneficial work. To stretch the comfort zone, to come into more and more ability to rest in one's own flesh and bones. It's not the whole of serene illumination, but it's an essential quality. So of the things that apply to all kinds of meditation, acceptance is welcoming, embodiment, Meditation is not something you do within your brain. It's a whole body, in fact, a whole moment, wakefulness. And then accompanying that is a skillful disinterest in the habitual thinking mind. Notice I didn't say you need to stop your thinking. Notice I didn't say the goal of practice is some condition of stillness. But a skillful disinterest in the flowing contents of the thinking mind. I recently was sharing a statistic I read, and how in the world would somebody know this, I don't know, but it's an interesting statistic anyway. These people did research on the amount of thoughts in a day that we have, and it was a ridiculously high number. But the thing that was so striking is they said that um, 95% of the thoughts we have in a day, we had the previous day. And I thought, how boring our minds are. And what a waste of energy. I think you'll find that as you you endeavor in this practice, that energy at one point is starts to uh, come online for you, an unusual amount of energy. And you can have all kinds of metaphysical theories about it, but I think it's just a lot less calories are getting eaten up by all that thinking. So skillful disinterest in thought You know, when we observe the mind, first of all, right there, the fact that you can observe the mind verifies for you that you are not your thoughts. 
You are more than your thoughts. You encompass thought. Thought arises within you. As we observe the mind, we can watch this quality of thoughts thinking themselves. There are some thoughts that very much we are actively engaging. You know, we we drift off as we are habituated to do into some fantasy or some resentment or some whatever. And we are actively kind of turning the crank of thought. We're involved, even though that might not be a conscious involvement. But there's also thoughts that just rise up. Thinking thinks. And we can work with both of those. We can have the intention not to be actively deliberating, not to use meditation for that purpose. That is deeply purposeful in the right situations, but in meditation we don't use the mind in that way, at least not in Zen meditation. So we can not intentionally engage thought, and we can just be non-reactive and non-interested in the arising of thoughts when that's a natural phenomenon. Just allowing the impermanence of them, allowing them to think themselves and vanish themselves. Speaking of wasted calories, a lot of calories are wasted trying to do away with thought when I have found it much more effective to see the nature of thought. Looking directly and seeing the nature of thought, we drain the potency out of it. So skillful Skillful indifference, skillful non-involvement in thought, along with a welcome of our experience and embodiment. Those are, those are the essential ingredients of whatever practice we're doing. In a way, I feel like I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say more about serene illumination because Zazen is uh, an utterly simple practice. Serene illumination is utterly simple. And the benefit of, of speaking about it is for us to really trust that simplicity, to get our faith on board that this simplicity is worth embodying. So I'm going to articulate a little bit more this particular approach of serene illumination, but it, in a sense, doesn't go beyond welcome, embodiment, and not being fascinated by the thoughts that you had yesterday anyway. So I called this, these instructions the four don'ts and do's. It's kind of fun to make up, you know, little... In the sets of practice instructions. And this is called the four don'ts and do's. 
The don'ts are enough, but I don't want to leave it at a negative. The do's are enough, but it's good to really kind of emphasize uh, what exactly we're letting go of when we say letting go. So the four don'ts and do's. The first, which encompasses all the rest, is don't relate to anything. Don't relate to anything. Do let inherent effortless awareness experience its various forms, tactile, auditory, visual, olfactory, etc. Don't relate to anything. Don't use the mind to relate to anything. Do let awareness experience effortlessly. Now, if you're hearing this as some kind of invitation to like zone out or to be indifferent when you meditate, then I'm failing in my articulation here. Do let inherent effortless awareness experience its various forms. It already is. When we relate to experience, we obscure the underlying unity of awareness. You can never sever it, but because we do that so often, in a way there's no breaks in doing that, we believe that awareness is divided between me and that. That the moment is sliced into these different parts. And this, this seamlessness, this, this kind of softness becomes occluded. The unifying softness, all experience having the same, the same nature. Don't relate to anything. Do let inherent effortless awareness experience itself. Be aware. So number two of the don'ts and do's. Don't check out or tune out. You may find that different ways of coping with difficult experience appear. Habits of, of consciousness appear in response to textures that are challenging or intense or we don't like. And of course, one of them is simply to tune out, is to go unconscious. And sometimes it has the quality of like turning down a dimmer switch where our presence of mind becomes fuzzy and dark. Some people mistake this for meditation. That's wrong. And sometimes this checking out is, you know, a juicy fantasy. And we, we tell somebody, we go to the teacher and we say, I just keep fantasizing about this great veggie hot dog I had. And you wonder, why are you having this banal, repetitive fantasy? But anything for the mind to get distracted from something, kind of, kind of look underneath. What may, might, might it be that I don't want to be with or feel? 
So don't check out or tune out. Do have confidence in awakened mind, your most authentic nature, this awareness we're talking about, its capacity to feel and experience whatever arises. Now there is, there is so much that I can't bear to be with. But awareness can feel that. There is so much that I just shook from that I, you know, I can't even stand an itch for more than five seconds. Or like 80 degrees for me has become hot. But awareness is spacious and imperturbed and act frankly, it's already taking the shape of that which I don't want to feel. So to relax into that, have confidence in your deepest nature's ability to feel whatever arises, to be with it. This has nothing to do with thought. Number three, don't resent or dislike what arises. Now this is a this is a tough one because it can take some practice before uh, we see that a lot of the things that we um, dislike or resent that come up in our experience, various um, tensions or feelings or thoughts, that that dislike is not inherent to that thing. We're doing the dislike. It's it's an attitude that we're enacting. You know, I always I use S and M as an example. Now, some people really like pain. Some people are enlivened by pain, and some of us immediately contract. It's all the mind. The orientation of the mind towards experience is incredibly powerful. So don't resent or dislike what arises. At least we can you know, close the gate on the active complaining that we sometimes do about what we're feeling. I kind of like people who kvetch. Do you know that? That's a Yiddish word, kvetch. I kind of like that as a style of discourse. I got a couple thumbs up. Somehow there's there, there's something about just the moving energy and expressing and just kind of sharing what we're experiencing. A little bit of, of joy of commiseration. But at a certain point, complaining becomes a painful art. You know, we really actually are making pain with our complaining. Because whether I complain or not, that thing ain't leaving. My complaints have no effect on that thing I don't like. So at some point, to close, to close the gate, I'm talking about in our sitting practice. I'm not necessarily saying you should toss out your discrimination of like and dislike in your everyday life. I'm talking about in your sitting practice. So don't resent 
don't actively resent or dislike what arises. Do allow the intensity of what arises to arise and have its lifespan. It will arise, will exist, and it will transform. Oftentimes, especially if you don't have an injury, pain that arises is a hidden bliss. Because when we're able to be with that pain, fully without argument, its energy is released in a different way. So do allow the intensity of what arises to arise. In that allowing, in a sense, it goes from pain to intense sensation. And in a way, it's the disliking that makes it go from intense sensation to pain. I know I might sound like a crazy man saying these things, but check it out. Check it out in, in small doses, manageable, manageable bites. And the fourth, don't revel, wait for, or indulge in any interests or pleasurable presences that come your way. Because awareness experiences effortlessly, we don't need to. We can't prolong anything anyways. But do include in awareness the subtle vibrancy, the, the pleasure waves of the body. It seems to me that sometimes there are certain like bandwidths that drop out of our meditation. For example, sometimes we drop out the bandwidth of the heart. We, we get into spaciousness, but we drop out um, tenderness or the quality of feeling. That's a bandwidth that we can, we can reconstitute, we can include. Also with uh, pleasure. There is a tremendous amount of lively energy in these bodies. And to include that part of the spectrum of experience helps to balance and invigorate when, because we will inevitably have uh, discomfort. But perhaps that's not, that's not the whole picture. So do include the subtle vibrancy of the body. We're working with deepening our, our seeing, opening our hearing, both, both literally and, and metaphorically. In a sense, there are aspects of experience that we're not experiencing. And we could say there are qualities available in this moment that for some reason the mind does not 
hold or illuminate. So the pleasure of the body. And if you find yourself you know, dwelling on some kind of discomfort, you could take as a meditation as your, as your place of focus the pleasure in the body. And let your, your awareness get subtle and rest into the details of your embodiment. We're not talking about an MDMA kind of thing here. We're talking about subtle pleasure. So one way perfect and devoted application of this looks is slogging through the first days or hours of retreat. Your perfect and devoted application looks like discomfort, fatigue, and hyperactive mind. That's my experience sometimes still after lots and lots of retreats. So if you can disbelieve that rocky or unpleasant experience equals doing it wrong or that you're not cut out for it, you avoid an avoidable eddy in the flow of your retreat unfolding. Hogan Roshi likes to say, don't make conclusions. It's probably more realistic to say you're going to make them, but just don't believe them. Call a conclusion a conclusion. So illumination will shine through the whole of us, bringing to light. Bringing to light whatever. Serenity is a space that all manner of mental and emotional experience can dance within. If not invites. So call on this medicine of mountain as you continue. Relax into the freedom of not needing to relate to what's arising, not to be confused with indifference, not relating because awareness effortlessly experiences life with no gap and no fear. Fear is a reptilian survival brains, helpful as they are. That doesn't belong to this. So serene illumination is not just, not just a sitting practice. I think the value of, of sustained and intensive sitting is that we get really impressed and familiarized by this deep authenticity, by this serene illumination. You could say in the sitting situation, you can know it at a depth that you can't know it otherwise. That's why retreats have been held for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But this way of being can be activated, can be enacted in whatever we do. And to find the places that it doesn't permeate. And for some reason, I get really anxious when I'm cutting vegetables. I notice my body gets tense. 
Maybe I was traumatized by like slicing into my finger at some point. I don't know. Can I bring serene illumination into that? Just a small example. One suggestion for the breaks, especially because many of us are in this relationship with the computer for hours and hours, is to go outside and welcome leaves and butterflies and neighbors and blue sky and traffic sounds into serene illumination. Experiencing outside of worldly logic, returning to that again. Worldly logic goes outside and sees it needs a trim, she needs a trim, too loud, too warm, and so on. Serene illumination enjoys its world. It's like a mirror that's glad to reflect. We are, it is, the medium of whatever. This deep mind brings forth is the material that the world arises as. So the seeing is deep. Seeing is a virtue in itself. And so my final suggestion, of course, advice for myself, is that in the formal sessions, engage 100%. Engage 100%. You can never know that you're engaging 100%, because then you wouldn't be. Probably we can't engage 100%, but engage 100% to carry forth that. It's not seriousness, because seriousness hardens us and gets in the way. But it is, it is uh, an intensity of devotion. Uh, this is seriously light. Take this light seriously that we can rediscover and we can embody and put yourself in 100% when you're sitting, whether that's a half hour a day or that's eight hours a day, 100%. Can't do it, but try anyway. So devotion, this kind of commitment is our, is our deepest power. So as we practice and despite the judging mind's assessment of the state of mind we have, the channels of interconnection become cleared. And so may all beings benefit from our practice. May we um, appreciate that at times unseen and at times clearly seen, this, this is an offering interconnected uh, offering and uh, benefaction for all this this very simple practice that we are doing thank you <laughs>